0: Again, everyone, to Punks on the Pitch, a podcast where the beautiful game meets alternative music. And um, before we kind of delve into the ins and outs of this week's episode, I did like I looked back on stats and stuff for the first time in a while, and was pleasantly surprised to see we've got some some lovely five star rev- reviews and stuff. So just want to say a massive thank you to everyone who's checked out the show, given the the show a rating and stuff. Like, yeah, just massive cheers. Um, If we can continue that momentum, then that would be lovely. Uh, We're taking a bit of a different approach to to this week's show in the fact that we have our first kind of big rivalry coming up in the Premier League in the Merseyside Derby happening this weekend. Um, As such, I thought I'd get our resident Liverpool fan Denele on with me to talk all things rivalries. But yeah, so D, Merseyside Derby coming up, like... I don't know, like a lot of I know a lot of you um, Liverpool fans kind of quote their main rivalry with United now, but for you, does the Merseyside derby still like hold a special place?
1: Well, the Merseyside derby is it's it's still a little bit yeah, because the Merseyside derby is a friendly derby in a way. Like it divides, it goes across families that like, you could have like fathers, sons, and brothers and sisters and stuff like. Half of them can support Liverpool. Half of them will support Everton. Yeah, it's either side of Stanley Park. It's not that. It's still like so we have Evertonians in my family. Not a lot of them, but there are. <laughs> yeah. There are some. Um, they're all mainly Liverpool fans, and it is, you know, it's one of the things that you don't really get that. You want it for bragging rights, and to yeah, but it's not. The most violent derby, I don't think. If you look, especially some of the ones we look at later, it's not a. It's quite a friendly sort of like household. Ribbing of a derby, being like you just want to be. Have those bragging rights, and obviously normally, Liverpool, have those bragging rights. Mm. First derby in a long time coming up to it. I'm, I'm really not looking forward to it. <laughs> so,
0: yeah, that's. Well, I was going to ask you that because obviously, like Everton are unbeaten in like seven games in all competition and are on this phenomenal run of form at the moment. Yep. And like, like personally as a neutral, like Everton are probably the most exciting team in the league right now. So, yeah, is is there
1: kind of like worry for for you? It's a little bit of worry that coming up, uh, Everton are play Everton are in better form than we are. However, yeah. When it comes to derbies, form goes out the window. Like, it yeah, yeah. It doesn't matter if you're first and twentieth. Like, it's it's a completely like game separate to the rest of the league, separate to the form. Doesn't matter where you are. You you want to win that game, no matter what. Um. And I've, I mean, there's positives that Mane and Thiago are going to be back. And maybe that's well, that's going to help. But uh, I've, I've spoken to some Evertonians, and they're not looking forward to it either. either yeah, in, they they think this is both there's ever a chance that they're going to win it. It's probably this is their best chance in a long time. But at the same time, they're not that confident of winning it. So it's a weird game. Like
0: <laughs> yeah, because it like obviously last season, like the Merseyside Derby was kind of one of the first games back after lo- lo- lockdown, sort of like the project restart. And, and there was the whole kind of uh, like fans go- like gathering outside the stadium and, and yeah. things like that. But I don't know, like this time round, you kind of hope that fans have kind of taken note of everything that's going on in the world right yeah. now and won't kind of have that approach. But I don't know, like... And because it's obviously still early in the season, do you feel that there's not as much pressure on this derby, or is it, or is there still that want for bragging rights for from the perspective? I think fan it's still
1: going to have that want some bragging rights kind of thing. Um, it's it's always pressure, like, and it, it doesn't matter if it was a friendly, if it was League Cup, FA Cup, League. It's always pressure to win these games. Mm. Um, I don't think people are gonna. Go outside the stadium, especially well, I mean, Liverpool's the only city where you can't do anything right now in the UK. Yeah, uh, <laughs> so yeah, I think on that point of view, we're not going to have too much to worry around there. Um, I think people will be a bit more like smarter this time around. Uh, but yes, yeah, it's, it's a game you always want to win this game. I'd there's games that like I very rarely bet on football or I'll bet on the at derby still yeah like i'll have to i have to have make a deal with uh one of my co-workers that they take they have the derby off so i can then but that means i got first pick for the next game that i want off because we're both right okay um and it's just something that you it's all everything's about this game
2: Mm. like
1: the other rivals united and city and stuff have been like uh but Liverpool Everton, even though like it doesn't really very rarely defines your season, the Liverpool Everton game, but it's almost bigger than the rest of it. Do you know what I mean?
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think like we'll obviously get on to like Portland Southampton in a moment, but I think it's kind of a similar thing. Like when we were both in the Premier League, apart from the season where obviously Redknapp was in charge of Southampton and they were kind of facing relegation, it wasn't so much like these games will massively impact how we do for the rest of the season. But obviously at the time, it was the first time in years that either side had played each other in, in the league. So it was like this momentous occasion kind of thing. And it kind of... yeah it kind of focuses what you want that sort of game to be and like it takes i don't know you almost kind of like hold it in a bubble in some aspects like yeah it's kind of it doesn't matter where you are in the league or whatever like that it's almost kind of like has a kind of cup final sort of vibe to it
1: it's a a game in isolation of everything else um Mm. instead of two when the fixtures come out the you you go through and you're like right when are we playing them at anfield when are we playing them at goodison those are the first two ones you look for and then you know united City the sort of ones where like that might affect that like derbies that will affect your league position or if you're going to win a title but the first two games you look at is the merseyside derbies when's anfield when's goodison mark yeah yeah like yeah,
0: and I think like it's like you said, it's kind of based on like kind of a almost like a friendly sort of atmosphere mm-hmm. compared to as we will kind of obviously touch on some some not so friendly ones yeah. at the moment. But I think it's quite interesting for like speaking very broadly here. Like I remember growing up, like going to to like football games, and there was the adage and stereotype that like whenever you like face the team from Merseyside like the Scousers like they were going to like nick your car radio and all this kind of thing yeah but on the surface like this is the longest running like top flight rivalry in terms of like locality yeah it's probably the most kind of humble and family friendly which is like Quite, quite funny if you look at it in comparison to, like, okay, like, Arsenal, Tottenham is probably a similar vibe, but, like, United City, there's going to be trouble. Like, Pompey and Southampton, when they were together, there was always trouble. Yeah. Like, so, yeah, I don't know. Like, is that just, like, Merseyside in a nutshell that you have this vibe?
1: I think quite a little bit, yeah. I mean, Liverpool's a really friendly city, it's a very small city um everyone knows everyone it's a strange like it's more like my remember um my dad going up for the Liverpool haven't game because he was like oh you know bring his mates out from haven't here go it and just couldn't could not buy a drink the whole time they're up there because every time they went to put their hands in the pocket they'd be like no no we'll get this we'll get this. yeah yeah very welcoming and very like friendly I think that adds to, like, that helps with the derby, especially, like, like I said, they're just either side of Stanley Park, and all that happened was that Everton left Anfield to go to Goodison, not, well, go to their new stadium, and then left Anfield empty, which meant Liverpool formed to play in Stanley Yeah. Anfield. So they've always been really close. There's always been, like, a case of just, you know, like I said, just people in the same family, so like you can... Pick your, you're you picking your teams based on like your, you know, your dad or your friends and stuff. But they're so closely knit together. It's, it's, it's hard to be get really, like a the derby you get excited about, but it's a hard derby for you to see why they want to get really angry and violent about it.
0: Yeah, and I think like even from a player perspective, we've seen over the years, like a, specifically like scousers who have come through like academies or either club, like. You get like obviously your short like little documentary tidbits on like football focus or soccer am where ex players come up through the ranks at Everton, but he was a Liverpool supporter when he yeah. was younger and and vice versa. So I don't yeah it doesn't there doesn't ever seem to be like that animosity, but it is still a rivalry where. I don't know like obviously I don't I don't come from that household but you can imagine like being in a household where that's the situation where it's got both Everton and Liverpool fans yeah. that like after the result on a Saturday afternoon it could be a bit sort of cut the n- tension with a knife sort of thing it's a
1: bit I mean myself well I, I'm around the people in my family are Evertonians it's it's just a sort of like, you know, it's that sort of joke around the dinner table kind of thing. You're like, oh, yeah, well, you know, you could have done it. It's like, it's, it's not a, there's no kind of like viciousness to it. It's just like this sort of gentle ribbon to be, you know, like, yeah, yeah. I right, know, we won this and it's just a bit of friendly banter, I guess, is like the, the best way to look at it.
0: <laughs> yeah. And in your kind of like lifetime as a, as a Liverpool supporter, is there any kind of particular Merseyside derbies that kind of stick out in the memory for, for you uh, for any particular reason?
1: Was the I mean, the last year with Origi uh, and Shaqiri just running riot. And like Origi mm. only scores big goals, so... Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, the... The, the Van Dijk... Uh, header that bounced off his hand and I really knocked that in. Yeah, yeah. In like the ninety somethingth minute. Uh, but the one I think is um, there was one I can't remember the exact year. It was twenty, uh, maybe twenty ten. Uh, it was a, a Stephen Gerrard hat trick, and I don't think we we played you know fairly well, but it was Stevie G had to, like, scored all three goals to beat Everton, and it was one of those classic Steve and Gerrard performances. Yeah, uh, yeah. And you just, yeah, the, this is the one where you, like, why he's talked about in the same level as, like, Xavi and Iniesta and Skulls and Zidane and that that high echelon of football is, yeah. yeah watch these games and you see how good he was and he, like, you know, there were a large portions of 2010, like the 2010s and stuff, where he did carry that Liverpool team. Oh, yeah, massively. Long way. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's quite funny, like, looking back on comparison to where Liverpool are now. Like, they were always sort of, obviously, like, flirting around with the top end of the yeah. table. But, yeah, it's interesting to look back and, like, how heavily they relied on Gerard.
1: Yeah, I mean... There were, there were times where you never want to say that someone's like a one like they're a one team like a one player team and stuff but there were, yeah there were points where without Gerard or like after the 2005 Champions League up until about the Brendan Rodgers period <laughs> there were points where if we didn't have Gerard or Aga or Carragher like for the brief moment that Torres was still good at Liverpool we would have been way further down than we were. Yeah, yeah. I think it took some real players, like, we had some real fringe players on that team that should not have been that Paul Concheski stands <laughs> out as the, why? starting <laughs> to play for Liverpool. that is was just, oh, that was a sore moment. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> and just before we kind of move on, like, I know we've kind of already touched upon the kind of significance in terms of how it impacts the rest of the season. But obviously with the start that Everton have had this year, do you think that, I don't know, this is a, like a, just take away bragging rights. Mm. Do you think this is a must win for Liverpool in terms of them kind of resetting yeah. their dominance?
1: I think it is, uh, I think it wouldn't be so, I think we could go into it, after a loss and it wouldn't be so bad but the fact they're going into it after that 7-2 to Aston Villa yeah that it means so, like before that game we were above Everton just on goal difference alone but we'd mind like we had the dodgy start against Leeds seemed team just shaking that off beat Chelsea beat Arsenal seemed to be back to like when people, you know, just bouting about how good they are, And then to have that such a shock, like knocked down to earth a little bit, and like, and then so yeah, and like, the in fact, that Everton just looked better and better, and remained looking classy. I think yeah, it, it's it's even though it's really early in the season, I think it is a a must-win for Liverpool to, yeah, show people that they, you know. We are still running for that top spot. Yeah, we are still. The- and
0: yeah, and before we do move on, obviously, I always ask our guests what their kind of punk player is. So, for, who do you who do you think sort of antithesizes the punk ethos uh, for Liverpool, past or present?
1: So, I've, I've been thinking about this like all week. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, my first thought was Robbie Fowler. Mm-hmm. Uh from I mean from like the mid 90s Spice Boys era, the snorting the touchline for the goal celebration. Yeah. It was just very, very sort of like an in your face like fuck you in your face kind of thing. But then the one I settled on is uh Andy Robertson. Okay. Uh, because he's like could have been either of him or Trent, really, but he's like he got this little kid from Glasgow, got dropped from their academy for being too small, signed to Hibs. Like, there's all these tweets they see about the fact that he had was like working in Marks and Spencers, and like didn't have a proper job and stuff, so going to go into Hull, getting relegated from Hull, and then signed to Liverpool and going on to be arguably one of the best left backs in the world. Yeah, every trophy available to him. That's, and he just. He looks after like he's a bit of a shit house, but he looks after his mates. Yeah, so. <laughs> yes. Uh, a thing that I always remember is this World Club Cup final, and Rafina, he was the flamingo right back, and he was giving Mane shit all first half, like, like in his bike, kicking him, doing all that, real like roughhousing him up. And you can see it at halftime when they're walking off the pitch. Robbo goes up to Mane and be like don't worry, I'll get him. First couple of minutes of the second half, Robbo clatters Rafina, <laughs> Just like, fuck you, mate, and walks off. It was like, yeah, that's like, <laughs> that's what you want. He doesn't take anything from anyone. He's always in the middle of the fights, trying to either like stand, not starting it, but standing up for his mates and being like, no, fuck you guys. Really like <laughs> yeah. <that. laughs> Pretty punk to be like, I'm not necessarily going to start that fight, but if you pick my mate, I'm going over there and I'm... I'm going to finish it. <laughs> yeah.
0: Fair. Well, as I said, we're kind of taking a bit of a different tack this, this week. and uh, What I wanted to do was kind of focus on other kind of big footballing rivalries, specifically kind of ones that, not necessarily are violent, but kind of have a, like a heated kind of aspect to them because... I think that kind of brings about that punk element, that kind of passion and stuff like that. And we've both brought a couple to the table that we wanted to talk about, but I think the obvious one to start with for me, obviously being a Portsmouth fan, is Portsmouth-Southampton. Obviously, like you live in the city, so you'll kind of know about it in, in sort of the passing sort of thing. But yeah, it's one of those rivalries that, complete opposite to the Merseyside one is very heated. Like take away it being on the football pitch. Like you will always hear old man at the pub. Like if they even hear that someone's from Southampton, they'll be like, Oh, scummer oh, yeah. sort of thing. And and vice versa. Like you get in Southampton, you've got a skate butt, a skate cunt and all that sort of thing. But it's one of those rivalries that unfortunately does have that bad side of it because like back in the sort of 70s and 80s Pompey was one of the biggest hooligan firms in the UK and obviously those people still exist um I remember specifically a car remember I think it was in the was it in the league cup it was one of the first times we played Southampton in in years and it was at St Mary's I didn't go, thankfully, but like my dad and like a group of his friends oh, did my dad go I know his friends went anyway, but they were in a Southampton pub before the game. Like none of them wearing Pompey colours or anything like that. But it kinda of got wind that they were Pompey fans. And literally as soon as they stepped outside the pub, like someone just glassed them and it's just yeah. like that kind of side of things is does It brings about a bad reputation for it. But at the same time, like it's that passion that kind of like I absolutely love. And the the Derby games that I've been fortunate enough to go to, it does, it brings this like heightened level of like energy and excitement and kind of danger to it, which I kind of like to bring in that punk element is kind of like, what you feel like when you're at a big show, like there's just like tension in the air that you know, like something's going to kick off in a minute and it's going to either be the best thing or the worst thing. And that's kind of what I felt like walking to Fratton Park, like in those games. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know. Like what, what's your kind of relationship with, well, with the Pompey Southampton derby?
1: Yeah, I live in Chelsea in Portsmouth. like Fratton Park is a stone's throw from my house.
2: Um, yeah.
1: And, I, and, yeah, I've adopted the city quite well. I am one of those people who so like, oh, if it's happening, I will fuck off. Like... <laughs> yeah. Come um, But as, like, a sporting rivalry, it's, it's an odd... Because the two teams have never been in the same league for that long. No, no. To develop a proper footballing rivalry, it's pu- like, it is an over like, a city rivalry. Um, mm. Staying you know, from, like, the dockyards and all that kind of stuff and it's it's really a, a, a footballing rivalry that's developed out of the city's rivalry rather than any kind of like sporting base if you know what I mean like yeah yeah it's always it's always interesting it's always what like I say it's always the one that everyone gets really excited about everyone's the passion's still there um so yeah, it's a strange, and you like you always know if it's back when you could still go to football games if it was a derby day, like you'd be like, "Well, I'm not gonna hang around these places because," <laughs> yeah, Cause, like I'll give it a miss today. Actually, <laughs> like,
0: yeah, yeah, and I think like what's kind of interesting, I it might happen with Liverpool and Everton fans, but I'm um, again because I know of like the friendly nature of it, mm-hmm. I'm not privy to it but like just from being like a former season ticket holder at, at Pompey like if there was a player that was even like a little bit associated with Southampton no matter what team they were playing for now like they would always get the most stick like yeah. even like when the teams were like warming up at the beginning of the game and the the um MC was like announcing the team over the PA like it'll be like oh The only one that can come to head right now is James Beattie for some reason. But like you say like James Beattie and there should be like a roar of boos and like every time they get a touch of the ball, it would be like that. But the reason I kind of bring that up is because there have been some players that have played for both teams and sort of, I don't know, broken the mould a little bit. Yeah. But obviously the biggest sort of switch of, of... judasness quote-unquote was obviously harry redknapp going from portsmouth to southampton and then flipping back and i just think like i don't know i just think that was a really kind of interesting time not just for the rivalry but in football in general so i don't know like what did you kind of think of of that because i know at that time especially in the city like redknapp if he was anywhere near here could have been hung sort of thing
1: I, know, I mean, I know people that still despise Harry Redknapp, um, despite the fact he came back and then because he left again. And it was, it was an odd because obviously like Crouch played for both teams under Redknapp. Yeah. But Crouch is just one of those players that Redknapp always signs. Like yeah, yeah. And, you know, like he's got his bag of players that always like Cramjer, Crouch, Defoe, the players that he always signs wherever he goes. Um, it was strange. It wouldn't. You wouldn't see. I felt like an odd move for someone like Redknapp. He's been around football for a long time. You would. You would never see anyone switch, like management wise, switch between United and City, or. Yeah. I, I can't. If it had, I couldn't think of anything that happened. I mean. You wouldn't expect. Like Zidane to just suddenly go and manage Barcelona. Like Yeah, yeah. It just seems like an odd thing to do that you would just make that you're instantly on the back foot, surely, going in to, like with the fans anyway, going in and managing coming from the rival team. It's gonna surely it's gonna take a while for them to like like to get on board with what you're trying to do.
0: Yeah, because that's the thing. Like, I don't think even I know they were in the midst of a relegation fight, but I don't even think Southampton fans were particularly like pleased to see him in the in the initial instinct. Yeah, and like obviously a little while into his tenure at at Saints, obviously they came to Fratton Park and probably arguably well, it was our biggest victory against them, but mm-hmm. arguably the best victory we've ever ever had against Southampton. Was that 4 1 win? And I kind of like, in preparation of doing this, I kind of looked back on the highlights and I didn't realise it was like two days before my birthday. So I was sort of like, oh, that was a nice little birthday present at the time. <laughs> but I think what made that even bittersweet, like even sweeter, sorry, was the fact that pretty much 75% of that squad were players that he'd bought in and. He'd obviously left to go to Southampton and we just completely decimated them. And I will always remember uh, when the Luau Lua goal went in, the first one, I had literally just come out of the toilet, got to the top of the stairs to go back to my seat and I just see the ball hit the back of the net and just like literally the momentum of like everyone cheering just like, pushed me forward into where I was sitting and I was sort of like oh it's like falling down the terraces but like just yeah this massive excitement but I think like for people our age obviously like we're in our 30s but at the time I was probably 18 I think and like for people like my dad and like all his friends who were like in their 40s and 50s at the time to experience that like was just such a cool experience and the fact it was in the premier league so it was obviously going to be on match of the day and got all this like fanfare and stuff it was a really really cool thing to to be a part of so it's kind of like what you were saying with the stereotypical stevie g performance like this was like peak portsmouth yeah we've proved we've proven like we're the dominant team in the south and Yeah, it was like one of those moments that will always kind of stick in the memory for for me. But um, yeah, so as I said, we're going to kind of talk about other rivalries and I think we'll we'll stick with the Dockyard theme for now, but we're going to fly all the way to to Argentina. Um, Probably one of the... Well, I don't know. We're we're talking about some quite recognisable ones in this, but probably one of the oldest rivalries in the world of football of Boca Juniors against... River Plate um the reason I kind of bought this one to it is because I thought well mainly because as I say like the the longevity of the rivalry but the the thing that kind of really kind of stood out to me was the nicknames that they kind of have for each other which I thought was quite funny so like when it kind of all started they they had these nicknames so it was kind of a split kind of like Liverpool and everything like one team kind of like branched off and built their own thing and so on and so forth but Bocca was kind of the work always seen as like the working class team and then when River Plate grew it was seen as sort of the upper class the rich for the team for the rich essentially and they I don't know whether they adorned it themselves or it was given to them, but they were called like Los Millionaires, Los <clears> Millioneros, <throat> which is the millionaires. But then when the rivalry started to become really bitter, obviously they kind of gave each other nicknames. And River Plate, well, no, sorry, Boca ended up calling River Plate Chickens, which isn't that exciting. Yeah. But the on the flip, like, River Plate started calling Bocca Little Pigs, which I thought was really funny. It's quite cute. <laughs> yeah. It's like, our oh, little pigs. Yeah.
1: I'm sure in Argentinian, or oh, in Portuguese, it's a much more insulting, or spanish even than I'm sure in Spanish, much more yeah. insulting. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, like,
0: yeah, so, I don't I don't know. I've, I've seen a few like highlights of this this um, derby in the past, and obviously we kind of mentioned bef- like a little bit before recording that just due to the like the violent nature, there's been several sort of postponements of this game yeah. in the past, and and there was obviously the one incident back in uh, I think it was sixty eight where like I think like seventy one fans died because of like. Surging into like the terrace gates and and things like that, but there's been various violence because of the ultras throughout the years, kind of thing. So I don't know. What's your what have you what's your kind of relationship hey, with this
1: this rivalry? It's one. Couldn't this also the derby where the ref got shot, like someone got shot. Oh shit! Yeah, yeah. I forgot about that. Um, which is just like for this is like to have that passion. Is amazing, but it's only a game of football. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah, no. As like an outside sort of perspective of it, like there's, it's up there with the derby. Like when you think of like great derbies, River bucker is up there. It's one of those ones that I think every f- football fan would want to experience. Mm. In some, you know, I, mean, I wouldn't want to be too close to. Any side of the Ultras, but it's, I think it's something that's like, it's just a kind of, it's almost sort of like got a mysticism about it. It's just this crazy, for all of this, like, because in reality, I think most people can name Boca Juniors and River Plate. If you ask them to name many other teams in Argentina, they probably struggle. Yeah, yeah. I like, and I'm, you know, Sure, there's some good. I mean, I, I I just just started career mode in FIFA 21 and just poached most of Argentina. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I know there's good stuff out there, but um, it's it's the derby that everyone from that side of the world, like everyone knows, everyone looks at it from, like, the sporting countries in Europe. I think like something you you really want to experience Mm. that kind of passion, that kind of um Farrar and like seeing like the players that have come through those teams and stuff like Tevez and Messi um, it's just something you'd really want to like yeah so it's something I'd want to experience I want to yeah. be want to see a game Um
0: yeah and I think like that's what differs from there's another rivalry that's similar to to that that we'll talk about in a minute but what differs from, like, derbies in the UK to derbies elsewhere in the world is, it like, it's always a sense of occasion, but, like, just, like, looking at the, like, imagery and highlights and stuff of, of not just the games, but the fans, like, Boca, like, not so much River Plate, but Bocca's colours are so dising, distinguishable, like, that blue and yellow. Like, just to, like... To see one side of the stadium, like she like just engulfed in that colour, like because like w- we've been to football games, like obviously a good sort of, like 90 percent of fans will always wear a football shirt, but like you get the odd person that's just in casuals or whatever. But it seems like for for Boca and River Plate fans, like on Derby Day, you wear your team colours. Yeah. And, like, it's just the spectacle of everything that's part yeah. of that. And, like, yeah, just to depth. see that sea of blue and yellow or white and red is just something, mm-hmm. like, you can imagine being in that stadium getting chills off.
1: Yeah, because there's such big stadiums as well. There's so many people there in there. Um, I think, I can't remember which, if it's Rivers or Boca's, it's, like, one of the biggest stadiums in the world. Yeah, yeah. Just to have that filled with colour and noise. And real, like, passion for what's going on in the pitch. Like, yeah. Yeah. It'd be a real, almost like... Almost like like a sort of festival kind of experience, maybe. That kind of... Yeah, yeah. Noise and colour and... Yeah. And I think,
0: like, the reason I kind of lumped it in after the Pompey one is because... Its kind of origins and background is similar in some aspects. As I say, like, it's kind of built off like this working class Docklands area that is similar to, to Portland, Southampton, because it was around like the whole Dockland workers and navy and all that and everything like that. But, and this again is similar, like, but you've got like the working class and the rich, which I think. Tra- like translates more onto the pitch than Pompey Southampton because you always like we've spoken about politics and football before. And I think that's very prominent here and still to this day, like obviously I know there's obviously more money in football and that's something we've spoken about here a lot, but the working class still very much gravitate to Bocca yeah. in in Buenos Aires compared to River Plate. And I think, like, there was a couple of years where um, River Plate fell out of the, the top league and there wasn't the the rivalry as much, but then it kind of reignited back in, I think it was like the early 2000s. And even though Boca had the bragging rights, like... It was kind of like the liverpool Everton situation. Like, that game was the main game of the yeah. season, despite River Plate having their fall from glory kind of thing.
1: Yeah. No, it's definitely, I think you get that with any... Like with all the derbies we're going to talk about, that's... It's always the biggest thing. I mean, like I said, Pumpy and Southampton, you very rarely get to play these derbies anymore while you yeah. You know, but anytime it comes up and like every time there's a cup drawer like you're always hoping that you draw southampton because you want that game again <laughs>
0: like mm, yeah cool well d what, what what's one of the ones that you wanted to bring to the table
1: um so what i've seen is the oh, i need to look up i think it's the Derby, the maria donna Play that that into AC <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's got its own special name because it was like this yeah yeah Madonna or a statue of the Madonna on top of the stadium um, and it's it's a thing that I think a lot of people when they look at Italian football into AC are two of the biggest teams that people know from Syria after the. Day, you know, Juve into AC Roma. That's probably like your casuals for Yeah. Night. And the fact Inter and AC, uh, they, they, I mean, they've got a really interesting. Like they, again, they kind of the so AC was there first, um, and they formed through. Uh, I think it was an Englishman that was living in Milan. He formed this like football and cricket club. And then at, I can't remember exactly when the split was, but then there was a split because AC Milan felt that you could only have players from Italy playing for you. And then there was a group that wanted international players, which then became International Milan. Mm. Uh, which seems crazy seeing that AC was started by an Englishman. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, but the fact, like they're so, you know, that they, they share a stadium. Um, but the Ultras hate each other. Like, mm. They have their own side of the stadium. If it's like a day when, like you know, say Inter playing Juve or something at like the San Siro, the Ultras will not sit past a certain line because that means they're in the AC half of the stadium. And the same with AC Milan. If they were doing that, they will not sit past a certain line. And it's that kind of like rivalry to the point of that you won't even like sit in a certain place. Yeah. You you absolutely hate it that much. You're like, no. And they've both kind of fallen from grace recently. Um, they've both become like sleeping giants, I guess. Um, the, you know, they're building themselves back up now. Like, Inter and AC always talked about, always have good players. but And it's very rarely that anyone plays for both teams. Yeah. Of Ibra. Off the top of my head. That's about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he Ibrahimovic is a completely different rule to himself when it comes to football. <laughs> yeah. Um so yeah, I think that like some of the games that are really interesting to watch from Syria, like are those derbies and that kind of real again, similar thing, less maybe less violent than Bokker and River Plate. But real like and some of the other ones that you bring up, but they're real, like, dividing the line across this city and mm. really based on the idea that you should be allowed to play international players or you shouldn't allow to play international players. You think of both the teams now, probably none of them are fully Italian. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah.
0: I mean, the one thing that kind of, like, always really struck me about this, like, rivalry and derby... <laughs> was the fact that they share a stadium like it always blew my mind it was just like how can these two teams like that hate each other like share a home Aye. and like i remember back in like the late 90s watching football italia on on channel 4 like as you say like whenever it was a milan derby day that was like the day you wanted to watch because like there was always it's just like really hot atmosphere in the stadium but like even then like back in the 90s there was still a very heavy italian feel to specifically inter Mm. but they then they had players like zanetti and um fuck what's the chili striker i've forgotten his name now I can't no. but like these like players that were like quite so you had like your italian players that yeah. were all flair but then you had these like hard hitting players yeah. as well so you knew like with with the maximum 15 minutes there would be
1: like a crunching tackle oh and you know with, like off yeah derby. like and part of the reason you want to watch it is for those sort of hard hitting smacking tackles that you know are gonna like you know it's gonna be a bust up it's gonna be like someone's gonna get in a fight it's gonna be yeah you're gonna you know it's it's a leave it all out on the pitch passion game where you are gonna i don't think i've ever played a game of football like that i mean <laughs> yeah. like secondary school, and you're like, "Oh, I'm gonna play your, your rivalry high school team," but it's never. But you're gonna like, you're gonna watch it, and you're like, "You know, there's gonna be at least one red card. It's probably gonna be a couple of yellows. Someone's gonna like. There's gonna be some absolutely crunching tackles that are gonna make you wince. At mm. the same time, it's like that's what you're tuning in for when you get to, like. That's what you watch this derby is for that, like experience. Yeah
0: and that's the thing I think this is what like out of the derbies that we're going to talk about take away maybe the other one that you're bringing to the table but this is the only one that I can think of where like that like passion and aggression spills over from the fans to the pitch Yeah. because like okay like players will get caught up in the moment and the atmosphere and like even like with Pompey Southampton I think like a prime example was um, when Steve Stone played for us he kind of embodied what the pompey fans were on the pitch but he was clever enough to not like go flying in studs up but like with this as you say like you know like at the the longest it will be will be 15 minutes yeah. like if not the first minute there'll be a statement tackle going in oh yeah you got to put your And heart it, it's up again. <laughs> yeah and and it's like you want like it's almost like you want to show like your side of the stadium like I'm doing this for you kind of thing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But it's yeah. Definitely, it's definitely a, you've got a, you've got to show that you mean it and that you've come, you you come to like take blood and <laughs> take <it laughs> yeah, within the first day and like the passion from the fans goes into the players and it's, yeah, it's a real heated game. You know, it's going to be like, there's no no one's ever come I don't think there's ever anyone gonna be a game that's come out of that where they're like, Oh actually it was it was friendly, it was alright, it was nice. Though it's never like it's always gonna be like a heated match. Mm. Well, if we move on to our, our
0: next one and I think this one kind of antithesizes what we're about in mm. punks on the pitch in the way that one of the teams was kind of formed, but And also, I just love the name of this derby, the Eternal Derby uh, between Red Star Belgrade and Partizan Belgrade. Um, I think it's quite interesting that Red Star, when it kind of initially formed back in 1945, it was formed by the United Alliance of Anti-Fascist Youth, which fucking says it all. Like, in in 1945 as well. That's fucking rad. Um, But, yeah, like, the reason I wanted to bring this one up similar to kind of AC Inter is just like the pure like passion of the fans. Like, yes, there's ultras. Yes, there's violence. And again, kind of like the Bocca sort of incident is just like, I've never been to Belgrade, but like in terms of sort of like doing like research of this and like watching like little documentaries it seems like a, like a really, like, quaint city, despite it being a capital. Yeah. Like, it's got all this, like, rich history and this rich architecture. But at the heart of it is this football rivalry. Like, kind of like what you were saying with Portsmouth of Southampton. Like, if you know it's Derby Day, mm. like, you avoid certain areas of the city. Yeah. Whereas this is kind of the opposite. A part, like, that you want to be part of that atmosphere. And, like... I know over the past, like obviously not this year or last season because of COVID and everything, but this has almost become like the football tourists' derby because, like, I know there's been like various YouTubers or documentary makers or whatever will go to the Belgrade derby just to soak up that atmosphere. And, like, I know there was one video that I watched where um, the guy got to the stadium, like, two hours before kickoff just to kind of like soak in like that atmosphere and like when they got into the stadium uh I think it yeah it was at red um Red Star Stadium. So obviously you had all the Red Star fans on one side of the ground and but then all the Pathesan in the other. But the mm-hmm. Pathesan fans had to be split up into three sections because they were fighting each other because they were so pent up. Which I thought was really funny. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. I think um it might have been the same documentary I've seen that was what like my main because I only ever knew of Red Star pre previously to a couple of years ago because they were mm. you know, they're the one that had the, the biggest European success, I guess. Which I always forget about. Yeah. Um and then as the more I got into football and sort of hipster football, i like into like and then partisan and stuff and getting into the, these other teams and i watched this documentary there's a documentary series that um vice sports did we were whoever there? if it's just called vice sports so it might be called something else i don't know um but they did a whole series of documentaries on rivalries mm. and <clears throat> partisan red star was on that and i think it's the a partisan he would, and they march from their stadium to the Red Star Stadium every derby day, every, like, just march all the way yeah. down there. And it's just, like, so, he's, like, being in that. And then it's showing him, like, in the same with all the flares going off, all the noise, all the fireworks. Like, it's, cr- it's like, a crazy, like, sort of end of days kind of... <laughs> thing, like. yeah. Um, and the thing that I took away it, I found, that I thought was really mental watching it was the, that for both Red Star and Partizan, like, the Ultras have keys to the stadiums. Like, yeah, yeah. Let themselves in. I like, think at any time they want. Like, that's mental. That And no one can do anything about that. Like... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, Jesus Christ, this is a like fucking mafia. Like. Yeah. Uh, that's the, like... I don't
0: know. Uh, so Like... I Think that's kind of cool, but at the same time, it is a bit like, oh, you are essentially letting these like hooligans like, yeah. run your team, but I don't know. Like, I think it's obviously Serbia's a different, yeah. a different country, so it, it might be fine, Eastern <laughs> <of> Europe, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but like, yeah, no, the what the other thing that like, you were saying, like, about the fireworks and stuff, there was, um, there was one. Like so, I watched a, a match highlight of this, and um, I can't remember. I think it ended like two one Red Star, but so Red Star went one nil up, and all the fireworks started going off. Blah, blah, blah. Mm. And then I think like fifteen minutes later, Partizan equalized. So then their fans out off all the fireworks and whatever. And then when. Red Star went in the lead again, like more fireworks. Yeah. And by the by the time you're in like the seventy-fifth minute, you're you're literally just watching a cloud of smoke. Yeah. Like you cannot see the pitch. And it's just like it's almost like, like the football doesn't matter. Even like despite like there was um there was another clip that I watched where uh it was a nil nil draw, but it meant that Partizan went five points clear at the top. And, like, they treated that as if, like, they won the league kind of thing. So, and, like, again, kind of similar to the the Inter AC, like, after that game, you could tell, like, the Partizan players and the Partizan fans almost kind of joined as one because, like, all the players went over to the fans and they did, like, um, similar to, what's the Icelandic, um, oh, the Thunderclap yeah. sort of thing yeah they did like a similar thing like that with like it was a back and forth between the players and the and the fans which I thought was really cool um but yeah I don't know I just I just thought this like just take away all the violence and everything that that comes with this this was just like a really like interesting historical derby that I think like some people may miss and uh, but as I say like it it has almost become, like, a tourist attraction yeah. for,
1: like, die-hard football fans. Yeah, I think definitely it's become one of those... I mean, it's saying I'd want to go and have an experience because I think the documentary I watched, they had have to stop it about 17 minutes in because the smoke was so... You know, <laughs> yeah. ...continue the game and had to wait for it to clear. And it is... Yeah. Yeah, I think it's saying you just want to... It's, like I said, it's, like it's, it's just this... I don't know anywhere else... You could get that outside of the football to get that kind of experience, like the Eternal Derby, to have the yeah, you know, all the flares and the noise and the passion, and it's just pure, like visceral excitement, like, and it's it's real, like something you really just want to be a part of and soak up and enjoy. And it, yeah, yeah, I think that there's not much outside of football where I think you'd get an experience like that
0: yeah and just before we kind of get on to your other rivalry going back to to nicknames I think so this is kind of like I, I'm not showing any allegiance to either because I don't know enough about it but I think this is quite funny so the Red Star fans are kind of like so that. I'm not even going to try and say what the the Serbian name is, but it translates to heroes. Yeah. But they're kind of like larger group of like, ultras are called Belgrade Boys, which <laughs> sounds very like pop stars. Yeah. But I'm then the like Partizan. Great. Yeah. But then the Partizan fans, like sound goth as fuck because they're known as grave diggers or undertakers. Yeah. Which like, is fucking rad. <laughs> yeah cool right so uh we've both got one more each so d what's the other one you're going to bring to the table uh
1: so my other one i think slightly linked to your last one is uh the old firm um mm-hmm. rangers versus celtic i think everyone knows yeah how crazy it can be um but it is a Derby or a rivalry that's come out and it's basically kind of a, this sort of sectarian, it's a Catholic um, Protestant bribery. yeah, essentially. Um, and it's you know, it, it's you just, you're over one side or the other, and there's no, yeah, um, and it's just that kind of I don't know, there's but like, it's one of those things where people have been sent death threats. I think Neil Lennon got sent uh, a bullet in the post with his name written on it. Yeah, yeah. Um, It's one. It still, you know, it still invokes the kind of the troubles in Northern Ireland and that kind of um, the the wars over there, and it still has that kind of history to it. Um, Football wise, it's another one of those like. But the Milan derby, you know not even within fifteen minutes, someone's getting booked in that game. (laughs) Yeah. It's a game you watch because like obviously they're far and beyond the two best teams in Scotland. Even when Rangers went into relegation, didn't take them long to get back up. Yeah, yeah. And I'm sure they were missing every derby, like looking forward to the next one. Um I remember when I used to work in sports bars and stuff and if it was like if you knew the old films on i there'd be at least one TV dedicated to it because I wanted to yeah, round yeah. knock someone out. Like it was <laughs> yeah. like it's, it's it may not be the prettiest football but it's the passion. And it's another one where the, the passion and the, the heat of, and, and the fans leaks into the team and the players mm. um you would never see like someone that played for Celtic end up playing for Rangers I'd imagine I, I,
0: no I can't think of, of i can't think of, of
1: anyone going out like switching um and you know like those the the, the local lads in these teams really believe like they're like they're going out to it doesn't matter who else is playing at any, and it's obviously like the old FNW do tend to like dictate the league a little bit because they are yeah. at the top and it's always you know, the bragging rights between the two of them who can win the tr- most trophies that year um, but it's just a it's, what, it's just a hard hitting game every game is a mm. hard hitting game and it's I remember there was one game I was watching when Chris Commons scored the winner for Celtic and, like, took it and got booked for inciting the crowd because he took his shirt off and just walked into the crowd, arms open. Like... It was <laughs> yeah. Just, like, people go absolutely mental watching these things. Like, Yeah, yeah. It's crazy.
0: It's like... I can't remember how long ago it was. Like, this is quite a few years now, but, like... For some reason, like, there was one year that BBC played, like, showed one of the off Firm derbies. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know, it might have been a time when, like, Football Rights was, like, a bit before, like, Sky and all that kind of dominated it. And, like, I hadn't re- I was quite young, so I wasn't, like, that into watching, like, other football apart from, like, as I say, Football Italia and the Premier League. That was kind of, like, it. But I remember watching this on like a Saturday like Sunday morning, I think it was. And as you say, like this was when Neil Lennon was still a player. Yeah. And obviously we know what kind of player Neil Lennon was. Absolutely. And I think it I think like he ended up getting sent off. I think Rangers ended up having a player sent off. And like that was all within like the first half. Yeah. And it's just, like that kind of sums up like I think it ended up being like one all or something so it wasn't the prettiest game but yeah it's kind of like that thing with the Milan derby is like you know there's going to be some like big hits in there especially back in the 90s when they had like they had the likes of like like Lennon and Hartson and stuff like that playing in in those games
1: yeah you always knew I mean Celtic I know slightly better than Rangers um because, of obviously, Liverpool's got quite with, like, Dalglish and stuff. Yeah. There was... You always... The Celtic team was always kind of made up of, like, some guys in the middle and in defence that you didn't want to, like, meet in a dark alley or get... Yeah. Like, you know, Scotty Brown, Lennon. And then... But you'd always be, like, someone up front, like, Lundberg or something. They were just going to, like... Yeah. Score some amazing goals and really like run it right, but you just like just everything else backwards. It's going to be awful for you for the next ninety minutes. Like,
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I remember like when I was younger again. Like I had some like weird affinity. Well, not weird because he was absolutely the same player, but like Henrik Larsson. Yeah, and like I remember just seeing him like one year, just absolutely like just. Dominate the Rangers' defense, like despite them like kicking lumps out of him, and it was just like yeah, it was. You could tell like the Celtic fans after that game were like really smug because they were just sort of like, we've got this top quality striker, and no matter what you do
1: to him, he's gonna bang a hat trick against you. Uh, I mean, the fact that Hemer Glasser never played for Celtic was crazy, but (laughs) (laughs) yeah, but yeah, no, that's why him up front would just be. And he wasn't, like, a weak player either. Like, it didn't, like you said, you could kick lumps out of him and he'd still go in and score a hat-trick. Like, it's just a great, great game to watch.
0: Yeah. But it's, like, as you say, it's kind of got that dark side. Like, even oh, yeah. today, like, obviously with Lennon, like, have it with his affinity with the club from player to manager now, like, that kind of, It's weird because it's the religious connotations mm-hmm. to it that, like... It might be, like, just the, like, the sort of punk in me that's, like, fuck religion kind of thing. But it's just, like, for me, religion and football should not cross. No. And it's, like, it's mental that that's kind of... As you say, like, the season can be going along absolutely fine, whatever. But as soon as that day hits, it's, like, oh, no, like, we're we're back to fucking Bloody Sunday and all this, like, it's just,
1: like... Yeah, it's one of those things of where yeah that divide suddenly hits a being like if you're a president or a catholic and you just cut and be like no you can like, i'm sure there's still people in that in you know in those supporter groups that will not speak to you if you if you're like if you're a catholic or if you're a president or if, like you absolutely cannot be involved in as whatsoever just because of your one brand of christianity <laughs> like yeah 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 um, and it's crazy that, like, obviously, it still exists, but it did, yeah, like I say, it's mental that it, I mean, sport and... Because so Glasgow is like a working class city. Yeah. Um, religion and sport are so interwoven into that kind of, into their history, I guess, that it's always bound to cross over in that respect to the Derby.
0: Yeah. And the last one that we're gonna kind of touch upon has sort of similar conversations in terms of like invoking thoughts of like past conflict and whatever. I'm not even going to try and attempt to pronounce the team's name,
1: <laughs> but it's... uh, uh it's, looking at it, like, trying to work out how you meant to say those.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but it's known as the Mostar uh, derby. So it's in the Bi- Bosnian city of Mostar. Um, yeah, this is like... Please, people, if you don't know this one, go Google it and and look it up because it's fucking mental. Mm. Like it kind of base, as I say, kind of like based around like what, like world wars, civil wars, like wars within like their own country, like Bosnia, like Croats, Serbs, and it's something that's just all melded into this fucking intense rivalry between these two teams. Um, Again, like, bragging rights is a big part of it, but, like, weirdly, like, something back in the early days was, like, ethnical groups were, like, part of it. Like, they took, like... I don't know, like, the I couldn't find the specifics, but I think, like, one of the two teams was, like, mainly built up of, like, Croats... And, like, the others were mainly, like, Yugoslavs and Serbs and, and things like that. And, like, no matter if, if you were a football fan or whatever, whatever team won, like, it was huge bragging rights if you were a Croat and things like that. It's just, Or if you were identified as a Croat yeah. back, back then. And, yeah, I just thought this was a really interesting one in terms of, like, historical terms. To the point, like, when now, obviously, like, the former Yugoslavia is like divided into all these countries, but this tiny little bit of footballing history still clings onto that, that conflict and brings it about in these two clubs.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, so I had didn't know anything really about this derby until you sent it over. So I was looking it up and the first thing that I got, I was like, it's awesome things. And I was like, Oh, Okay. And then, but like the more I read, the more you realize just how much it has to do with the history of not just the city, but the history of the country as a whole. Yeah. Because um, I, mean, I think it was, I'm going to try it. I think it's FK Files and Zerinsky. Yeah. So, I mean, probably absolutely butched it and it's going to get angry at me. but... um. Yeah, like, so you have that. Uh, so Félez was, uh, cause, you know, the like either side of a river as well, I believe, and it's just like yeah, the Bosniaks and um, the, say, so, and then you have the the Croats on the other side in Zorinski, and then but then it was also like the communism and fascism and like which one like. Oh, I mean i can't remember i was just reading all the stuff and i can't remember either way now which one was the right So I won't i don't want to insult anyone by saying like one team was the op- one thing and one team was the other yeah but um yeah you know, and like during the second world war there'd be t- like one of them got dissolved for like majority of the like pretty much most of the war uh, yeah then they to, to be forced to play in different leagues because the Croats had one league and the Bosniaks had another league, and it's just, they've sort of just always been reading back through their history that they've always been like there, like a potent on the either side of the things that oppose each other. And then it wasn't until like fairly recently that they started playing games against each other again. Yeah, yeah. I think up. like, I
0: think it kind of like restarted in like '92, mm-hmm. but then as you say, like there were more tensions and like leagues split up and yeah. and things like that. And because I think yeah, that, it was like
1: 1938 was the last time they played against each other, and then but
0: they still continued the rivalry like fan wise. Yeah, like, which yeah, like and it, fucking... it's
1: just always been. It's like having. It always seems like having a rivalry. But this rivalry is so much more than football. Like, this rivalry is the fact that you're two ethnic groups, the two religions, the two. It's its the old firm derby without the football. Like, <laughs> it's kind Yeah, of... yeah. And now, obviously, they, they are back to playing each other again. It's crazy. And one little,
0: like, funny, like, tidbit that I saw when I was kind of, like, reading through it. Um... So in his younger days, um a very young Luka Modric appeared for Zarinsky, which I thought was quite funny. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like play playing in the in the Bosnian League before on loan from Dynamo Zogreb. So he kind of went from the, the Croat League to the Bosnian yeah. League. So a player that kind of made the the switch. But yeah, I don't like Again, the reason I kind of wanted to, to bring this one as you say, like was this whole like the spanning of it and just the like again the passion of it that that doesn't just relate to football is something that's obviously like very politically driven and sort of like where your roots kind of come from i think again like obviously there's violence and things like that and there's huge like racial undertones with Mm -hmm. this one as well but I think it kind of sums up what a football rivalry should, should be. And, yeah, I think, I don't know if I'd be in a rush to go and see this, but at the same time, like, yeah. I'm
1: intrigued. <laughs> I mean, I was looking through the scene and I don't think it's, I feel like there's not too much violence around it anymore. Yeah but I'm, yeah it's a weird it feels like a weird one to go and experience when you know the history of those two teams and the history of the country as a whole and it's because it's not just the locality of the two clubs it's and the fact they're near each other it's a whole bloody history of wars and civil unrest and ethnic cleansing and just a load of stuff you don't want to really entangle yourself too much in um for to be a tourist at a game of football
0: yeah and like it's despite like everything that's kind of happened like i think it's um velez were the one that was sort of like Dissolved and, and rebuilt, and it took them several years to kind of get back to where they were. But this game, still to this day, like, as I say, has those kind of like ethnic implications in yeah. in terms of like with, whether you sort of like identify as a Bosniak or a Croat. And obviously, I, I, I don't know like the whole ins and outs of, of what it's like to live in that, like yeah. either of those countries. The specific especially, like, post-war. Yeah. Because, like, you'd like to think, like, nowadays, those tensions have dwindled. But f- as we have mentioned with Celtic Rangers, like, football seems to reignite those flames, and this is a-, is a prime example of that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think it's... Yeah, it's one of those games, or seems to be one of those games that's going to really... Respare any kind of deep-seated kind of like like issues or stuff things that maybe just be bubbling under the surface yeah you know, it takes a game of football to bring everything to the top and make it a bit more some and you know do you do, there are going to get some things out of that which may be a bit more unsavory but it's uh it's an interesting it's an interesting thing to look at and like read about i definitely think that if you don't know about it go and go and google it and have a read about it yeah these two clubs is very interesting
0: yeah definitely um before we kind of get on to our regular scheduled programming so I'd say there's one bit of premier league news that we kind of want to discuss and that's the big thing that's kind of come out in the last couple of days is this project big picture which i think is the worst name for it ever but this proposal that's kind of been put forward to to potentially change how the Premier League's structured, and how that's kind of going to affect other sort of teams down down the footballing mm-hmm. tier, uh, I think it's interesting that Liverpool, and Man United are the ones that are kind of leading this. So I'm sure most people know, but it's the the big kind of like takeaway proposal is that the Premier League will be reduced to eighteen teams. Uh, the Carabao Cup and the Charity Shield will be sort of scrapped. Not sure whether that's definitely or just kind of in the interim. Mm. Um, parachute payments will disappear for clubs that are relegated. But on the flip side, it means there will be more cash flow going to Leagues 1 and 2. But as I say, like it kind of seems like this is aimed at the big six to become even bigger and more dominant in the Premier League. Yeah. For you as a Liverpool fan, what's your opinion? Do you like this? Do you think it's stupid? Because obviously they're one of the teams that are pushing for this.
1: Yeah. I mean, I was looking at it and originally I was seeing it from a player's perspective. And I think if you look at most big leagues in other in the other city, in like that European top five, most of them only have eighteen teams in them. Um, mm. The league has only got eighteen. I think Bundesliga has only got eighteen. Yeah. Uh, Serie A has only got eighteen. And and the one big complaint that people always like always have from is that they play too many games. And you know, if we don't, we introduced a winter break. We didn't have a winter break. We just they've just pushed half the games around. <laughs> yeah. Uh, have even less now that we've got a shortened seasons because of the, everything that's going on in the world um, and maybe if if part of your argument is that they're playing too many games, scrap all this international bullshit like yeah right <laughs> yeah now, why are we playing international games <laughs> like yeah we're worried about the spread of a disease across a global situation stop sending people players. like. Yeah, let's get on a plane to Iceland. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um but for, and then but I also think like say, if you go to eighteen uh the two team you got two extra teams that are gonna have to get relegated or do they only relegate two teams that season?
0: Well, so the what what I've seen is that they're gonna the proposal is to do it like how the Bundesliga do it. So mm the bottom team gets relegated and then the other team goes into a playoff with the first and second okay. of um, the championship. Yeah. That's what I've kind of seen like poked about. But in a wider picture, the whole league frame, so two teams will essentially drop out from yeah. the football league and go into the national league. So it has that knock on effects down the line.
1: Well, that's what I but... thinking of the, the down, like the, the football, like the Championship League One league two, you already have 24 teams in there.
0: Yeah, so essentially, like there'll be two knocked down from each yeah. league. So you'd have two come round from the Premier League to the Championship, two from the Championship to League One two from League 1 to League 2, and then two from League 2 into the National League. Right. Okay.
1: It just but, seems... Because we have... There's a lot of teams in the league already. And then you're going to knock two Premier League teams out. Which would then... And it, what that means for me, it just... like As you go down the leagues, it seems less and than... I mean, that's just the way life is, I guess. So as you go down, things are less and less fair. Um... But when you're in League Two and stuff, and you're already in that position where you're going to get two, so do you get two teams that are knocked out when the time we go up? So you have to basically you got two teams, extra teams left over that you have to put somewhere, and whether <laughs> yeah. you keep knocking teams out of the bottom divisions, or you don't let teams from the non-league come up, like that's it's all like just. Well, however you look at it, there's two teams left over because he's drawing everything, and then you're going from 20 to 18 up top. That's it's. I think it's and like from a finance point of view, it seems like a money grab. Like oh yeah, like oh you want more money? Fine, like boo hoo, like you. (laughs) But you're owned by billionaires. I mean in the news recently about the fact that Liverpool's uh, FSG is about to become part of a six billion dollar company.
0: Yeah. Do you need more money? Like... Well, because... So this is the thing, like... Because loads of people have been saying, because of, like, as I mentioned, one of the things will be the parachute payments will be mm-hmm. scrapped. But there will be, like, this... I can't remember what they're calling it, but, like, it's a rescue fund, essentially... Which will be sent to League One's and League Two, which for a team like Pompey, great. Even yeah. though we've, we're now weirdly quite financially stable after everything that we've been yeah. through, but like I, I saw this interesting tweet. Was like, some fans of like Championship teams were like, oh well, this is unfair on us, blah 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 blah, and there's um, I can't remember it now, but there's a there's a Twitter account that also has their own podcast, which focuses on football yeah. finance. And they somehow got this document that was, like, um basically Stoke City's finances. And it was, like, their turnover for the last year, despite the pandemic, was, like, 200 million. Yeah.
1: It's like, I, th- I think you're going to be all right, mate, yeah. to be honest. It's, yeah, it's one of these... When it comes to money and sport it's always it's always going to leave a bad taste in your mouth and it's yeah um yeah it's very it's where the sort of bad side of it like the more tory side of sport comes is when like, these owners and finances are always just like well what about where, where's that like could we have some more money like mm-hmm. yeah my bank's not full. My pocket, I, I think I've got some space in this pocket. I can fit a bit, a few more dollars in. Like, yeah, it's, I'm not, I don't, overall, I don't think it's a good idea anyway. If you wanna, if you wanna really be like, we're looking out for, because I mean, as a fan, you're already paying, say you've got Sky Sports and BT, that's 40 quid. Yeah. Then they want to do these pay-per-view games which are going to say are going to be like 15 quid a game like yeah yeah and maybe in this time where you can't go to things maybe that works out but you're really taking 40 quid off them a month and then season tickets are always going up T- game days always going up it's uh the price of shirts are always going up like it's i think it's unfair for that kind of situation and you have clubs down lower down are struggling and then I think if you're doing it because you want to protect the players, then, yeah, I mean, yeah, to cut that. Like there are some games you could probably cut out easily. I mean, you know, don't have so many international fixtures when it's not a necessarily. I know, like, that's why well, they invented the Euro League, so you weren't playing games for the sake of playing games. But just get rid of that. Yeah, game. yeah. yeah don't, if if you don't need to play an international fixture, don't play the international fixture. Like, yeah. Maybe get rid of the League Cup. But then, you know, that's another thing for that. Or if you don't want to be involved, like take the Premier League out of it and just have it for the Football League and just have the Football mm. League Cup if you think your players are playing teammate. And then it just gives, you know, the Championship and League One and stuff of something else they can actually viably go for rather than this is... being whipping boys.
0: Yeah. The, see, this is like kind of on the same topic, but I always hate this argument of like, I kind of get it because obviously like professional players are doing like various training and whatever, ever blah, blah, blah. But this whole notion of like, they're playing too many games and whatever. Like when I was a kid, I was playing football all the fucking time. Yeah. Like, okay. Like I know my stamina and everything was different when I was younger and you've got all this bundles of energy, but if you're paid fucking thousands of pounds a week, to do the thing you love yeah. for ninety minutes, I'm sure you can do it at least twice a week. Yeah. It's like, come on, mate! But that's a that's a completely different issue
1: <laughs> itself. Another episode. <laughs> yeah. Man.
0: Cool. Right. So. As always, we love to champion uh, non-league, unknown or just obscure teams here on Punks on the Pitch. Um, so as always, on this Friday episode, I ask our guests to bring a team to the table. So D, who's your team?
1: Uh, so this was a struggle for me because first episode you did have in on Waterlooville. You were my <laughs> <Yeah>. non-league team. <laughs> but I was thinking about it and I've gone for uh, Chichester City. Yeah, um, so I went to school in Chichester and so yeah, it goes local enough for me. Um, I think I went to the clubhouse once for a party. <laughs> <laughs> uh, someone I went to school with used to play for them, might still play for them, I have no idea. However, last season they became the grabbed media headlines, um, by becoming the lowest, I think. So basically because of the unfortunate happens happened with Bury and they're going into dissolvement and no longer being a club it meant that in the FA Cup there was one team that were going to get a bye to the second round and as you're drawing these things out and the last ball in there was Chichester City yeah, were the lowest ranked team still in the cup and they got through to the second round, which is the furthest that anyone was like. And it was just like, it was almost like a dream story because they started in the preliminary rounds. Yeah. And they play in the Iceman's Southern, or the Iceman's Wessex or something. It's, you got know, normally it's about three divisions below for the Football League, if not more. Yeah, so,
0: it's, so I think it's like you've got the national league then national north and south yeah and, and then i think it's the one yeah.
1: below that the one vote in. yeah like for but like um and you know they started they started in the extra preliminary round they went through all of the qualifying round beating teams in the leagues above them then like non league teams above them then. to get to that, and i imagine for them just getting to the fa cup draw was a big thing, mm. to then just sit there watching it, being like, "Oh, are you going? Like, where are we going to go? Any anything would have be been big. Anything would have been a big day out. Would have been interesting. Would have got, but to be and I think as people were watching the draw ground, knowing that there was going to be this one team that had a bye that I think everyone deep down a little bit wanted it to be Chichester City. <laughs> yeah, they wanted it to be this little non-league team that. Nowhere close to playing the football. Nowhere close to the levels that I didn't end up playing Luton in the second round, and it was
0: I, th- I think it was Tranmere.
1: Tranmere, yeah, Tranmere, yeah. Now I've got it on. I don't know why. Yeah, Tranmere in the second round, but just to you know, reading the thing about it, like they basically treated that as treated the fact they got to that as a major like celebration. To
2: yeah, yeah,
1: get to yeah. that result. It's just a, I think it's just a good, almost heartwarming story that the, the smallest club in the draw, the like lowest rank saying that they were the ones that would get to take that opportunity to get the extra step up.
0: Yeah. And I think, like you say about them kind of celebrating it, because you always have like, on like it's usually either like the first round or the third round of the FA Cup. You always have like the BBC or the Sky cameras at like the small minnow clubs, yeah. hoping they're going to get like one of the giants. And like if they draw Man United, there's always like this massive celebration because they know one it's going to be a big day out, and two it's going to be this like financial yeah financial. like help for the club. But with Chichester they treated the fact that they got the buy like this big celebration, which I thought was
1: really kind of yeah. sweet. It was like,
0: "Woo, we've done nothing, but we're into
1: the next round. Well, that's it. I mean, they've got, because of that, they've got television coverage, which meant they got £75,000 for the broadcast fee. Mm. Um, they took their earnings to stay around £157,000. Yeah. So they'd say at the, uh, the season is going to cost them 30000 the beginning of the season, we had 20,000, and now we've got 157,000 pounds. Like, that's like that whole thing just completely sorted them out. Like, that's yeah, like, yeah. I don't know what they did with the money afterwards, could have spent it on horses for all I know, but like, <laughs> um, yeah, it, it's it's a nice story to see. Like, you always like the little clubs in the cup, so like when like Norfolk Victoria and stuff like that, but. To City being what nine, ten, fifteen miles away, like,
0: yeah. And I think a little sort of interesting tidbit that I kind of found just doing some research. So, obviously, eventually they got knocked out by Tramir, and it like quite convincingly, it was a five one win for Tramir. But looking back at like the club's history, so they were they were kind of formed. From a merger of two other non-league teams like Chichester City and Port Portfield, and the first game that they had under like Chichester City Football Club, they lost five yeah. one, which I thought was quite funny. Like they've had these two landmark moments and the results were the same, yeah. which I thought was quite funny. Yeah, and also like on a kind of a, a sort of a personal thing, I didn't realise this until just now. Um but their manager is Miles Rutherford, who when I was used to work at the news, mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure he was Moneyfield's manager. Yeah. So he was like one of like the go-to managers that I always used to have to speak to. So it's nice to see that he's still still knocking around and in, in doing his, his bit, which is cool. Cool. Um yeah, also before we kind of move on, just because non-league season is starting to ramp up a little bit um they are actually in in cup competition this weekend they're in the FA trophy they're away to Brentwood town so yeah good luck to to just uh, on the road oh, we Right. So rounding off the show, as always, is one of the more fun sides of the show, is our Musicians 11. Um, I'm really interested to see what you've brought to the table, Dee, but how will we obviously always start? Have you got a name for your team?
1: Yeah. Um, so I've kind of seen so my normal like, uh, like FIFA names is like FC South Right. Yeah. Um, but I thought for some of the nature of some of the people in this team. i have got like FC Chelsea of heaven. <laughs> <laughs> okay,
0: <laughs> right. I'm going. I'm going to guess that's going to become clearer in a moment. <laughs> have you? Um, have you got formation?
1: Yeah, I'm going for my standards attacking four three three. My okay formation. Um. So yeah. So. I've got, I'll like, let you know. I've gone for a sort of Inter Milan, Atletico vibe. <laughs> right. Okay. No, that's cool. Right. So, who have we got in the sticks? So in The sticks, same as every other person that's been on this podcast. I've been, like um, nearly every. I've gone drummer. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> this seems to be like a running theme. And, uh, so I've gone Joe Castillo. He was the drummer okay. from Queens of Stone Age from right. Okay. 2012. Yeah. Yeah. Two thousand twelve, and I don't know if you have seen him. Uh, he's he's in he's the drummer in the first Give It Giffen Video. He looks like the Hulk with tattoos. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he's a big dude. He's a mean-looking dude, and I thought like that's what you want. Like, someone manages to get past my defense. I want a mean-looking guy in the sticks to be like, oh, just to put you off before you even take that shot.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. You don't you don't want to like blast at him because yeah. he might punch you in the face. yeah <no>. Yeah, that's cool. cool. So who have you got? Who have you got in front of him?
1: So, all right, centre backs. I've taken big inspiration and liberties here. Uh, so I've also gone for Andy Williams. <laughs> right, that's cool. And
0: we, we've seen Henry Rowlands appear in two teams, yeah. so this is his second outing.
1: So, and then alongside him, this guy's. No, I tried to like I've heard like a real good gee search to if he'd ever been in a band, and he hasn't, which is really annoying. But I know he likes every time I die. Uh, I've gone for Andy Williams' tag team partner, Braxton Sutter. <laughs> so we've got. The- I mean, we we'll allow we're allowing. <laughs> we've got the butcher and the blade as centre. Yeah. Back yeah. Backs, because if you do get through, then you know they're going to do a suplex into a bat break. I was just going to say they're just going to fucking suplex you. <laughs> <their penalty> box, <laughs> They're going to get away with murder, and it's going to be fine. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, so that's my like centre. We like big, tough centre backs.
0: Also, I like the fact that you've picked a team for centre backs. Like because yeah. I think a lot of people have just kind of gone like big tough guys, yeah. but you've actually kind of thought, like, no, these are two people that work well together. Yeah. So it's gonna it's gonna translate.
1: I feel like maybe like Andy might be the one that's gonna knock you down and Sutter might be able to pass the ball off. He's a bit skinnier. You might be yeah. playing. Yeah. Um So like wing backs, I then like, well, I want a wing backs that can get up and down the pitch, that hectic, a lot lot of energy. So I've gone for Joe Talbot from Idols.
2: Yeah.
1: uh, Every time I've seen him on stage, he seems to have a lot of of craziness in his eyes and a lot of energy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And then on the other side, again, chemistry, Jordan Buckley. Um, Okay, because he's all over the place. (laughs) Yeah, like watch the every time I die. Tid the season that was on. uh, They put out the premiere run.
0: Oh, hey five six one.
1: Yeah, and it's just mental. Like I know I've seen him every time I die enough time to know that he's absolutely crazy on that stage. Yeah, a lot of energy and he's up and down. That's perfect. From that's what I want.
0: Yeah. I remember um, the last time I saw them, they played in the uh, Concord in Brighton. Were you at that show? Probably. It was a strong But at the, at the end of their set, he basically crowd surfed from the front of, like obviously from the stage, yeah. all the way. So you know how big the Concord yeah. is. It's quite a big venue. All the way to the back to where the merch is, like just like crowd surfing with his guitar. It was just sort of like, yeah, okay, fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I can definitely see him as a as a wing-back, yeah. like just being all over the pitch kind of thing. That's
1: it. I think you need that energy to get up and down. I reckon he's got it. Cool. Right, who's
0: your midfield three?
1: So, I've gone... So, I was thinking, like, if you need a good midfielder, they need to be, like, controlling, classy, have long hair. yeah uh, <laughs> My, you know, your classic... You know, you play those. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the, the, the first one is the only one I know that actually plays football. Because he used to play in like the third or fourth division in Sweden. Uh, Dennis Lixon from Refused.
0: Right, okay. I didn't realise he used to
1: play football. Yeah, he, and recently. <laughs> Weird. <laughs> Post-Refused, pre them reforming. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, you know, I think, lucky enough to see him a few times, before refused as well, and he has such control of the crowd, of what's going on. But also, that man's got a lot of flair. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I think that's the perfect, the perfect thing to control that midfield, to be pulling the strings, making sure everything's all right, uh, next to him, like I established, you need to have control and long hair. And, f- <laughs> and uh, again, bring my uh, chemistry, I've gone for Keith Buckley. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the chemistry with my centre backs and my wing back. Yeah. Um, again, every, we've both seen every time I die, Keith completely has you in the palm of his hand the whole time um, and can manage to control that chaos that is going on on stage and in the crowd. Yeah. And again, he's got flair. And he's got flair. Like, that man is a... And long hair, which is what I feel is the more important part of the <laughs> <laughs> um, These are like, my team thing. And then ahead of them, I was thinking, like, someone you need that advanced playmaker. Uh, I was thinking Kerry McCoy from Death Heaven. The... Oh, okay. Because some of the stuff he does with that guitar is... Phenomenal, and if you can translate that to his feet, then maybe he'll be really just (laughs) creating these like opportunities and like passes that people aren't going to see coming. Because
0: I mean, he's got an insane pedal board,
1: so he's clearly good with his feet feet already. Um, Yeah, I think like just some of his riffs are quite out there a little bit, and like that sort of mix between shoegaze and death metal. And I think that his you can translate to there'll be some interesting passes that are coming out that'll be... Yeah, yeah. Like, make stuff appear.
0: I like... No, I like that. It's not... He's never one I really kind of thought of. But, yeah, I like that idea. Cool. Cool, (laughs) right. Who have we got banging in
1: the goals, then? Right, so... Wing-wise, again, you need energy. You need to be running about... You need to be annoying the opposition defenders... So I've got from Thomas Eric from For the Troy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Nicholas Sadler from Daughters. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, okay. I totally get that. That's cool. Two guitarists that, I mean, sometimes when you watch them play, you're just like, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, I, I was lucky enough to see, I think it was at Islington, it was For the Troy, supported by Daughters. And Nicholas Sadler came out to play guitar for Thomas. When they were doing, I think it was like a mana plan, kind of like. Yeah. And he was playing for the Troy Rush like he does in Daughters. I was like, how sick can pull that off? Like, <laughs> yeah. How do you even know what notes you're hitting? Like, and then banging the goals, wanted a little terrier of a player, a little my own little Luis Suarez, something that. <laughs> You can kick the shit out of, it and he's gonna get up and he's gonna score, and also probably like rough you up a little bit back. So, I've gone for Greg Puciato. Oh, <laughs> yes, yes, that is fucking brilliant. Like, because he's gonna be a scary man to come across if he's running, out. yeah, man. Um, I mean, there's a story of our friend Miles when he saw Dillinger and he accidentally headbutted Greg, and he didn't move. Yeah, and yeah, you wouldn't want to like that. like I feel like it'd be a real, like, annoy the defense. Like you'd be someone you wouldn't want to play against.
0: Oh, most definitely. And like, as you say, I think he's like he'd be a striker that you try and go in on to sort of like assert your dominance, and he'd just be like, nah, fuck off. (laughs) And yeah, either that or he'd fucking. Lumpier and yeah. he'd be suspended for the I whole did. season.
1: He's a Costa Suarez striker, but you know, I'm worth willing to make that risk. <laughs>
0: no, that's fair. Cool. Right. And finally, who have you got sort of controlling this this rabble?
1: So uh, I fought for the manager, I was someone that's got proven success, that if you're gonna keep for a manager, you need to be able to change yourself over the years, continually evolve. And uh, I thought, who's best at that? I think I know where this is, is going. In addition,
0: Chris Jericho. Yes. Fucking yes. That's so good.
1: And also, he's going to look sick on the sidelines. Like. It's, it's the long hair. Oh, mate, imagine like the oh, jacket.
0: fucking sparkly
1: jackets. Yeah. And like that guy is fr- 30 years of in the industry being successful and changing all the time. And, you know, fuzzy all right, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean,
0: I mean, Judas is a banger. I'm not gonna lie, <laughs> is a banger, but yeah,
1: there we go. That was my one. Well,
0: the fact as well like, you've got Jericho with two wrestlers in the defense, which helps, yeah. <laughs> I'm there's probably some connection with every time I die in Jericho as well. Sure.
1: <laughs> I've so three. I've gone for pain. <laughs> like, it's,
0: yeah. It's I it. like it. There's there's a lot of synergy, there's a lot of like chemistry and a lot of long flowing hair as yeah,
1: well. That's right. it's I'm all about long hair. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Perfect. Brilliant. Well, do this i know this one's kind of run a, run a little bit longer yeah. than we usually do but it's been a, it's been a fun one like we've touched on some some cool topics i think um i hope you managed to enjoy the Merseyside derby uh, um i'm actually having a week off so we're not going to be here next week because i'm taking a holiday for the first time in 2020 which is a sentence i didn't think i'd yeah. be saying but yeah, thank you for for joining me as always and I'm sure we'll chat soon. Yes.